Nerds, here we go. It's another episode of Swing Thoughts, episode 192. Coach Tim is here, golf spiritual leader, Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. And we're excited. We've got a a great guest for you, uh, Swing Thoughts, devotees or STDs as we call you. You're going to love what you're going to hear. A really interesting character who combines high, high level golf ability and uh, one of the uh, best stand-up comics that is working anywhere on this continent or others. Uh, we'll get to him in a second. Hey, Coach Tim. Oh, there we go. How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Uh, we've had some great weather. I understand that you've actually got out and hit the ball off grass yeah. in this area. Yeah, it's pretty sweet to finally to... Uh, get out and play some golf. Monday was really cold. Tuesday was fantastic. We're recording on Wednesday. You guys are going to hear this on Friday. As always, brought to you by Jonathan Wong Apparel, Inc., offering golfers of all ages quality apparel from head to toe. Uh, We'll talk more about them. Uh, I think Jonathan's going to join us, Tim, uh, in a show soon to talk about what people will be wearing on the golf course. uh, Things like this, very and green. Very nice. Lovely, Lovely pieces, a quarter zip. And uh, Robert Dameron. <laughs> that's right. We had Dameron on last week. By the way, Dameron, everyone loves Dameron. We're going to get him back on again uh, soon. Over the last 40 years, you've inspired us all here at TaylorMade to make a lot of great drivers, but all materials eventually reach their limit. Just like uh, they went from persimmon to steel, steel to titanium. Now it's time to leave titanium behind because the future belongs to carbon. Introducing the all-new TaylorMade Stealth with a red 60-layer carbon face for better energy transfer and more ball speed. To learn more about the Stealth or to schedule a fitting, and yes, you should do this, check out TaylorMadeGolf.ca. And you haven't... It's word for Scotty Scheffler. That's right. I got the... uh, did you get that from TaylorMade because we're on the ambassador or whatever? I, you get to every time something happens great in the TaylorMade world. Yeah, the encyclopedic. Yeah. <laughs> what I was getting to is as soon as he won, I got an email from TaylorMade. I'm like, ha, ah, that was fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Nick, well, he had a bit of a lead there. So so whether it was Nick or someone else in the TaylorMade communications department, they had that sucker ready to go as soon as he called out. It yeah. took four to get down, but... <laughs> you know, yeah, that was great. Like, how was that? You have a chance. You could seven putt and win the Masters. I, I want to tell you, I just noticed this now because TaylorMade's put this out. The TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X, trusted like by players like Johnson, McElroy, Morikawa, Henderson, Scheffler, Glassman, and O'Connor. That's actually on there. To learn more about the, the latest TaylorMade products, visit TaylorMade.ca. Yeah, those balls uh, act pretty nicely out of the sand, eh? Two yes, they row. do. Oh, yeah, that was cool. How great, how bizarre was that? We'll talk more about the Masters. But first, I can't remember. I guess I must have met our guest today back in the mid-90s when I was trying to qualify for the Ontario Amateur. Somewhere along the way, I encountered, you know, I knew some people that knew him. And I only knew him as one of the best golfers Around, I don't know what age he would have been in 1997 when I played in the Ontario Amateur and the Canadian Amateur. But I knew of this uh, fellow, Dave Hemstead, and I knew he was a good player. And then I sort of lost track of him. And then a few years later, I found out, hey, that Hemstead guy is doing stand-up. And I thought, well, that's interesting. What makes him think he's doing stand-up? 
Well, it turns out, which is aggravating. First of all, I was aggravated because he was an amazing golfer, like a plus four, plus five, played college golf in the States. And then I find out he's also like a plus seven stand-up, which is like, that's not even fair. Welcome to our show. The very funny, talented, and uh, a great guy, great golfer, Dave Hempstead. Hello, sir. Thanks, Howard. What a, what a blushing intro. Do you- I was wondering, were you also the president of your student council and prom king? Sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I was designing some upgrades for the space shuttle at the time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, for people who, there's a lot of people in Southern Ontario that know your name from the world of golf. So let's start with that. Give us some background on your golf world and how you were a good kid player and then you got recruited. Let's just talk about that. And then I want to know when it was that you realized that you could do stand But let's get to that after. Okay, I can do a lot of that in the same answer, Howard. I uh, I was a late bloomer golfer. I started really the summer I turned 17 with some friends from high school. We started playing. I had a job at a golf store, Dynamic Golf, which was the hub yep. of uh, golf in uh, Toronto area at that time. And so uh, uh, Randy Freeman was a guy who worked at the store. He was on a golf scholarship at Wichita State University. And so he and I went out playing, and I won uh, more than once. I just wanted to see what a golf scholarship looked like. But uh, I won, so I called his school. And I said, is Randy on a scholarship there? And they said, yeah. I said, okay, well, I'm kicking his butt. Can I have some money? (laughs) (laughs) And they said, yes, that's exactly how it works. So I went down to Wichita State. But our coach, Al Littleton, uh, retired, and the new coach, uh, Greer Jones, who came in, hadn't heard of me, so I had to walk on to uh, Wichita State, which I did. I redshirted for a year. They didn't want to offer me any money, so I transferred to Missouri State because they played Wichita the most, and uh, I, uh, was, uh, <laughs> I was able to win a tournament when I was in Missouri State. I won the Pepsi uh, Diet Pepsi Challenge, the... Uh, Missouri State Invitational there, so I became a, a made guy. On I was big man on campus for, for a week, and uh, I came back and won the Toronto Star Amateur that same summer. That's 1999. Yep. And then in the Ontario Amateur, I was uh, struck by lightning, as you know. So uh, no, no, wait, that- wait, wait, wait! You don't, you can't just say, oh, as as everyone knows, it, I, we should tell that story. So I, that's that's kind of where I first became aware of you because I played in that Toronto Star Amateur and I knew that you were way ahead of me, and you were on a um, a path. At that time, did you think you were going to become a professional? It, I was starting to consider it very seriously. I thought, okay, this is all things are trending that way. Yeah, I had a late late start, but there's nowhere else but bust. And then uh, the good Lord reached down from the heavens and said, "Wrong place." And so I. Well, uh, where were you when you were struck by lightning? The, the de- uh, details, please. Yeah, on the par five at uh, St. Catharines uh, in the first round of the Ontario Amateur. Wow, uh, the dogleg left hole. I think we started on the back nine, so I think it's uh, fifteen or sixteen. Uh, down in the valley, yeah. and uh, the horn went for inclement weather. Everybody was asked to leave. We were waiting for the guys in our group, and and wham, down a tree. And then I thought it had missed us uh, until the next morning when I woke up and my mouth was all purple and my ear was burnt to a crisp. And I was like, what the heck happened? And then, uh, huh, 
lightning needed to come out, so it came out that way. And then uh, I went to hit like a four-foot putt, and it went about 15 feet. And that went on for uh, the rest of the day and uh, for the next few months. I just could not control my nervous system. Mm. Uh, I was just absolutely jacked. I couldn't perform. And so, uh, long story short, I became a stand-up comedian. Okay, well, first of all, in 1999 when this happened, because you mentioned that you started late, how old were you at that time? I was uh, 24 turning 25. And prior to this happening, that's why I asked you about you know, considering a professional career, because we all know, listen, a guy like Dave is a very high level player, but there's, there's lots of that in 1999, you know, that was a couple of years after Tiger turned pro. Was it realistic? Like, was it something you thought you'd try? I guess what I'm trying to say is how realistic were you and give us a sense of how good a golfer at that time were you? Well, I played number two on my team, so I knew I wasn't the best anywhere. Uh, and, uh, I lost to a lot of other teams, so I knew I wasn't the best in college, but I, I always had a bit of magic and I was able to win when I was in the hunt. And if I was playing well, I, I could seal the deal. So I also believed that with some more education about the game, yeah, I, I had the stuff, I had the nerves to do it. I just didn't have the golf IQ yet. So I was optimistic in that regard that I could attain more information. And then obviously it got sidetracked and I, I started to question whether I even wanted to spend the next five years doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously, you know, if you imagine being a golfer, I, I don't have the disposition to spend eight hours on the driving range every day. That's not my personality. I can play every day. I love golfing every day, but I, I can't be alone putting in the work for eight, nine hours. That's just not my personality type. I mean, now with new ADHD medications, maybe I'd have had a chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but back then, I, I needed the banter. But when you were when you realized that a a, a professional golf career wasn't uh, possible, I don't, you didn't go into like the one ads went. Oh, stand up comedian wanted. Yeah, <laughs> I'm interested in how yeah. you made that little turn. What could I do that would be I don't know, maybe easier than trying to be a professional golfer? I know. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And as lucrative. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The hours, the hours in golf were outrageous. I said, this is, this is five hours around. I got to get something shorter than this. I need Uh, to work for one hour a day. That's right. Plus you have have to make the cut to get paid. I need a guaranteed income and stand up comedy was the beacon. Uh, No, the true story is Tim. I I was going to, I wanted to leave university. I didn't want to be there anymore. If I wasn't going to make it as a golfer, then I needed to go, start a life. And I went to talk to a couple professors about leaving. And as I went to see one of the professors, there was a sign that said student stand-up comedy contest in a couple weeks. And I was standing there going, geez, I always wanted to try stand-up and knocking on the door, waiting and reading the sign and going, I wonder how long you'd have to do. You'd have to do, find out how long your set needs to be I'm knocking on the I could joke about campus parking. That's kind of funny. And then, and then it hit me like I'm I'm looking for a sign. I'm here for a sign, and this is literally a sign. <laughs> it's right, right here. So it took me a few minutes to put it all together, but I decided right there. I said, "Okay, I'm doing that contest," and I drop out the next day. And so I had two weeks to prepare, and I did the contest, and and I won it, uh, which was great because then I won a Sega Dreamcast which I could sell to my roommate for 200 bucks. So now I had 200 bucks US I wouldn't have had, which is like a million and a half dollars to a college kid. Yeah. And so I was driving home with $200 US 
and just for talking and telling jokes. I was like, this is, is this a thing? <laughs> do people get paid for this? <laughs> it, can I, I do that again in a heartbeat. That was amazing. If I could get, imagine if you worked a whole hour. So, <laughs> so listen, you know, every stand up comic that I've ever met that does it professionally had a great first set. And, and for people who, you know, you usually go up on an amateur night, in your case, a competition, but everyone's had, everyone that's ever done it professionally had a couple of really good sets to begin with. And then somewhere third or fourth time, you bomb horribly. And then what, what turns you into a professional is you decide that how good it felt when you did well you mitigate that by how bad it felt when you did poorly and you thought, okay, I can, I can handle that. Most people bomb the first time and you, you never hear from them again. Was that your experience? Well, I won a competition. My no, no, I meant once the first yeah. time you bomb. Oh, yeah. First time, I mean, maybe because I had a background in golf, uh, I had an advantage there because the first time I, you learn when you bomb. That's mm -hmm. when you learn. You don't learn anything when you kill. You just have a great time and that's it. But when you bomb, you go, wow, I didn't realize, you know, was that me? Was that them? Was I off? Were they off? You know, and you need to assemble, you know, Dave Mary, a mutual friend of ours, Howard. Uh, also a very good golfer. Very good golfer, very good comedian and was a mentor to me when I started. After my first set uh, in Toronto at Yuck Yucks, he took me aside and said, great set. Your first hundred shows don't count. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that really helped get my mind in the right place of it doesn't matter how I do. I have to acquire, same as with golf. I need a, lot, a much larger sample size before we figure out if I'm funny uh, or, or how to be funny. And much like in golf, when, when it's going wrong, when you start with two, three bogeys, how do you, turn the, how do you save the round? Mm -hmm. you know, so it's not even that I would have bad sets. You'd have jokes not work in a set. You, know, you always had your closer in your pocket, but okay, we're – we're four jokes away from it, and I'm I'm taking on a lot of water here. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> how, how am I going to ride out this storm? And you know, so for me, it's the same with golf. I figure you've got one good hour, one bad hour, and and two hours in between to figure out your round. Yeah. So, and that's pretty much every day. So, how good? How much can you keep it on the rails during your bad hour? How well can you capitalize on your good hour? And what do you got in your other two? You know, what, what's today going to give you? So if you can steal shots during your average hours, light up your good hour, that's how you shoot good rounds. Mm -hmm. That's very and true. Uh, Go ahead, Timmy. We're working these metaphors back and forth. A lot this of metaphors. Awesome. Very, very good. Um, <laughs> well, it was interesting. No, what I wanted to ask about was what you were talking about in golf, you said that you were able to close the deal. And to me, that speaks to, I don't know, uh, your character or sense of, belief in yourself what do you think it i mean both of those things trying to make it as a professional golfer certainly as a as a stand-up comedian um that's hard stuff it's you know, one of the hardest jobs i gotta imagine so what kind of i don't know belief system or character traits do you think that you have that were able you that were able that you were able to take advantage of to to make it possibly as a professional golfer but as a stand-up comic uh, resilience and ignorance. Yeah. And th those combine to make an unstoppable force <laughs> because I'm too dumb to know why I won't make it and too stubborn to quit once I'm started. 
Um, so what, what can slow you down? No, honestly, I, I think it's a, a very much a workmanlike approach. It's just a, a, other people have done it. It can be done. Uh, so why not you? Just go ahead and put in the work and, and learn from those around you. And, and when your time comes, just be ready to, to execute. It's not You don't even think about the ego or the grandness of it. It's just you're just doing the task that you've been preparing for. And, and speaking of preparing for it, so you said you weren't a guy that could stay on the range for five or six hours and grind it out and you know get the, find it in the dirt. The thing about stand-up is you need... You need repetition. You need lots of reps over a period of time. You know, you said Mary told you, don't worry about the first hundred shows. What's weird about stand-ups is you can be sort of toiling for 10 years and then in year 11 have a, a, a breakthrough. It takes a long time, as you and I both know, to get to the level that you're at. How soon after you started, you know, you did Yuck Yucks and then you started to sort of expand and now you're... You know, you're doing 15 minutes and as soon as you're headlining, when did you sort of think, okay, I guess I'm going to, this is my career path now. I, I started with that thought. I, I really did. From my first amateur night, I had already decided I was going to be a, a headliner and I was going to be a wow. pro. So I, I came into it right with the, right with the determination and the motive. For me, the question was, how soon can I uh, make a living at it? Mm-hmm. It wasn't one of my, it was, how do I get better paying jobs? What do I need to do to make more money? It, for me, it was never a question of whether I would make it, always. It was wow. only a question of how fast could I take on a rent or, or pay a mortgage, you know. You said ignorance, and I, you know, and I think you're being facetious to some degree, at least anyways. But when you said, okay, this is my career path, did you then... I know become a seeker in what are the what are the skills and magic <laughs> things yeah. that com- comedians need to uh, learn. This, this is, I think, the crossover of this show, Howard. Why I'm an okay guest for this is everything I learned about how to be a good golfer. Yes, absolutely applied to how to be a good comedian, and and that was a nice surprise to me. I didn't know that going in, but in terms of preparation. Uh, you know, a, a emotional stability, everything you need to succeed in golf, you need to succeed in stand up. And then they're actually not that far apart. Uh, perfection is unattainable. Uh, imagination is an asset. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I had a background as much as you would think golf doesn't prepare you. I'd already had my face shoved down my throat by the game so many times. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd much, I would rather tell a bad joke than miss a three footer. I can hand. I can blame you for the joke. I can't blame you for missing exactly. That. But that's kind of what I was saying about you know a lot of people would like to try stand up, but as soon as they have a bad set, you never hear from them again. Same with tournament golf. A lot of people like to try it, but it's not like regular golf. And sometimes they'll you know people will dip their toe into that world and never hear from them again because. Because not everyone can recover from or have the expectations. What you just said is so true about stand-up has, you know, you, you have your jokes that you've prepared, but sometimes you go out there and you have to throw your game plan away. Like golf, if, if you're so worried about your golf swing, you're going to miss the game. You know, we talk about that on this show, David, for 191 episodes about if you're trying to golf swing your way to lower scores, that ain't the way to do it. Because sometimes, you know, your swing just isn't there. It's what you said about, hey, if you can have a few bad holes and then pick it up, I'll I'll tell you, I've taken what I've learned from golf later in my life and applied it to stand up in that 
I no longer worry if I'm going to remember them word for word. It's about are you in that moment and can you play the game in front of you? And we both have seen comics where you're like, man, that guy's in his head trying too hard or new golf or new stand-ups trying too hard to get the words out perfectly. I, I can tell you a great story. Uh, it was great for me. I played uh, at Missouri State. I was playing for Perry Leslie, uh, who was our coach there. And the seniors knew how to run the schedule. So there's, for those who don't know, there's 12 guys on the college team. Five get to compete. So we're constantly qualifying to be that five. And we would have qualifying at 1 p.m. every day. Well, the seniors only took class till 11. And they would race, you know, then they'd go and hit balls and chip and putt to one. I took class till noon, had a 20-minute sprint across campus to get to the car. I'd get to the golf course, hit four balls, up putt, and be on the tee with these guys that are relaxing and laughing. So I'd bogey the first couple holes in qualifying, and then I'd play good. So I said to coach after a couple of weeks, hey, coach, this isn't fair. Look at what's happening here. At, from holes two to 18, I'm winning. But those first couple holes are costing me. I need a later start time. I need some sort of competitive uh, balancing here. And, uh, you know, I hated his answer at the time, but it it really was one of the best things that ever happened to me. He said, I don't care what goes on in your life before your tee time. When you step on that first tee, you better be ready to play. Mm -hmm. No, that's true. And that, that, that was the best tip for comedy ever. He didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it at the time. But no one in the comedy crowd cares what your day was like unless you can make it funny. Mm-hmm. They don't care what's going on in your life unless you can make it funny. And I see comedians come in and go, oh, I had a hard time getting here. But they're just whining. That's mm-hmm. not a joke. That's just something that <laughs> happened in your life. Yeah, that's <laughs> unless funny. you have a bit, no one cares about your day. No one, I don't care if your girlfriend broke up with you on the way to the – like you just – you have a job to do. These people paid 20 bucks or whatever, for their ticket. You owe them that many laughs. No one cares about your life. And with golf, uh, golf is almost harder because golf, your your name in a tournament, you mentioned tournament golf, Howard, that name stays up there for weeks and years. You, you have right. a bad comedy show. Hopefully nobody notices. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, that no one's called, but, you know, your dad's not going to read about it the next day. Like you're yeah, 84. No, no one, yeah, no one wants to. Listen, man, I shot in, in the mid-am. This is only a couple of years ago. I hadn't played any competitive golf for a while. I shot 92 in the mid-am, and I get in my car, and I'm looking at my phone, and I'm getting, like, sympathy messages. Like, what's the matter? Are you okay? But you eat it out of some club or you're working out material. No one gives a shit. It's a bunch of, uh, it's just, no one's like going, what, uh, in the third minute, what happened there? Yeah, but you read it on the golf course and they write it in calligraphy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. With two different colored markers. Oh, that's Ooh, we have a red one for his good hole. That's and right. And then a lot of black. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> well, one of the things that I think has got to be so similar is for, for, often with golfers is what happens is the is they shine this very tight spotlight on themselves going, how am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know, am I doing the right thing? Do I have the right jokes queued up? And I think what Howard and I have talked about in terms of stand-up and golf is that we have to be out there. You have to be concerned with what's going on with these people. What are they hearing? What's their night like? What's the mood like? When I can ad- – and it's essentially adapting to what's out there. Is that your experience? Yeah, 100%. And as Howard pointed out earlier, it's the same in golf, too. you you got to get out of your head. 
uh, in comedy, you can run out the clock. That's one, that's one advantage. In golf, you're locked in until you putt out, as we saw with Scheffler uh, on 18. You know, you still have to get it in the hole. Yeah. So I think there's far more, there's way too much time to think in golf. Yes. Between shots. And, you know, your own head is a labyrinth of darkness that you don't want to spend too much time in. Yeah, a lot there's of a, chaos. A lot of, a lot of uh, ghouls and gremlins and ghosts of bad shots missed. So when it starts going bad in a tournament, I've always said, I tried to explain it to my wife, tournament golf to me is like going on a long drive with a policeman right behind you the whole time. That's very good. Right? It's just, it's a four out, you, even when you're not doing anything wrong, you're constantly checking the mirror. Go, I yeah. think I'm okay here. I think I'm okay. <laughs> what am I doing? Calm down. And yet you're just always worried that this is one moment away. So you're never relaxed. And the other thing about tournament golf is like a relationship your weaknesses are going to be exposed Yes. at some point. Whatever it is that you're afraid of in your golf game, it's going to come out. Hopefully early enough you can deal with it. Otherwise, on the back nine, on the final round, you're going to have to hit that four iron you don't like or that bunker shot you can't stand. But stand-up's kind of like that. I mean, not, ex- not in the same way. And by the way, you I want to get... Hide. You, you can hide in stand-up, and you can control it to get away from your weakness. It, it, yeah, well, it depends on how long you're doing. Like, you know, for you who was regularly doing longer sets and 45 to an hour corporately and whatever, but I'll tell you, I, I hadn't done... I had to do a gig in November, uh, December, a corporate gig, great one, actually, and they wanted me to do 40 minutes. And I hadn't done longer than 10 or 15 for a while. And to do 40, your, your weaknesses are going to be exposed because there's some stuff there in the middle that I'm like, I hope this works because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stretch this. Because I knew I had 15 at the end that was going to be great. But it was that middle part. I was like, I'm not sure if this is going to go all that well. But you're right in, in golf. Once it starts going bad, you can't, as you say, run out the clock. You can't just go, oh, I'm going to go right to my closer and, and we'll be done here. How do you draw, when it does go poorly for you, the odd time, how do you draw on that to turn it around on stage? Because in golf, you just sometimes one good shot can turn the, the round around. How do you turn an audience around? I blame them. <laughs> That's great. I, I absolutely blame them. And I stop everything and I go, look, I don't think you guys understand how this works. <laughs> <laughs> but when I stop talking, you're supposed to laugh, fill that part in. That's yeah. all that. And I've tested my stuff. I know what I'm doing. You guys, I'm not so sure about. That's funny. Uh, no, but sometimes it's very much like golf. If you're not drawing the ball well, try a fade. If you're, And I don't know the skill level of the audience, so I don't mean to be, hey, why not just hit a 290-yard three-wood if you're bored? <laughs> 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 I mean, I mean, do something to scratch the record that's yeah. playing in your head Okay, to get rid of, do like a, like cold water on your face equivalent of, okay, I don't know how to do this thing today. So I'm going to try something completely different and maybe I'll pull it off or maybe I'll, at least it'll shock me into a different state and I can go back to do that thing because I'll miss it so much. <laughs> you know, if you, if you try getting naked, so to speak, and exposing yourself by admitting I don't know what to do here. Very often, you will find a way back to what you do know how to do just by saying it out loud. Okay, but I think that one of the, the what golfers fear is that being naked. They want to always appear competent. Do they look good? I know how to do this. I can close. And one of the greatest fears I know through my own experience of playing is that I'm going to show up 
not as the ideal player I want. And there's, so there's that fear and that identity piece around, oh, I guess I'm not as good as a golfer. Oh, I'm going to be a hack. Oh, dad was right. I suck. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and that, that's why you need a short game. <laughs> if you have a good short game, you can spray it. Yeah. And if you have the confidence, you can get up and down. It really frees up your golf swing. Right. I find having if you're if you believe you can make six footers, no problem. Yeah. And if you believe you can pitch it over a bunker or out of a bunker with a plum, with skill set, then you're free to rip at the the three wood from two sixty. You're free to try to cut the four iron from two ten. You know. So if you're struggling in, in in your act, which is hard to imagine, but do you have kind of okay this, this tonight's not working? The crowd's not responding do you have kind of like do you go to sort of your strengths and you're just going to hammer this to to get to get home and close the deal yeah yeah let's just play a little butter fade and get the hell out of here <laughs> that's right just hold on three finger rip yeah, by the way you, you reminded me about that uh watching scheffler four putt for the win do you think after the third putt his his caddy leaned in and went just stop this now just just stop it this is embarrassing everybody I got. I got to believe after he missed the third one that the underwear band got a little wet. I'd say. <laughs> I um, got to believe a little flop sweat in the back. David, uh, yeah, I was speaking of flop. It's funny because again, I apropos of not your appearance, but a, a guy that I know called me up yesterday and he was telling me he signed up for his first spot on amateur night. And I, you know, I said to him, "Hey, listen, go enjoy yourself. It'll be great." But I said, "Just know this: if it doesn't go well, you're going to have to burn the clothing you're wearing." <laughs> I said, because there's a reason they call it dying or flop sweat. I remember early on. This is back in my Vancouver days when I used to wear blazers, Dave. Before you started doing stand-up, we all had blazers. I remember I bombed so bad that the fabric. I, the smell never left the fabric. I had to, because th- that's what it is. It's the smell of your body dying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I once shot 80 in purple shorts. <laughs> <laughs> never, no one's ever seen those shorts again. No kidding. Um, I want to finish off by saying it's funny. I'm looking at, I, I, I could, if you want Dave's resume, he's done everything. He's on the debaters. He's done galas just for laughs i feel like i was if i was emceeing what i would actually say is here the next guy's done all the festivals you look it up but i know you've done big theaters i've done it a couple of times Uh, i've done a couple of thousand seat theaters a couple of times when you're in those rooms is it like a bigger tournament feels like you know when you're playing at your club championship versus the canadian amateur it's like a little bit different do you feel different in those situations or on when you're doing a, a TV set? Yes. Yes. And I feel much more comfortable. Really? Uh, because with a big theater, if 50 people don't like me, I'm not going to know who they are. Yeah. But if you play a room of 70 people and 50 people don't like you, I know exactly who they are. Yeah. I know. <laughs> That's right. Some of them are your friends. Like, nah, not buying it, Dave. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. No, for me, and this is true of golf and of comedy. And again, it's one of those things where luckily I had it. Um, I like being nervous. That's the feeling I want. That's what I'm waiting all year for is mm-hmm. something to get me revved up. For me, nervous, people use a negative uh, uh, context to it. I don't know why. It's it's your superpowers. It's you now have a chance to access parts of your brain and body that you can't normally. So when I'm not nervous, 
that's when I get worried. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when I am nervous, that just means every part of my body cares about how this goes. That means I'm entirely in the moment and I want to be here so badly that I'm concerned that I won't be able to execute. And so learning how to breathe and enjoy that, you you can hit it farther. You can be funnier. Those are your superpowers. You have to want to be nervous. Yeah, as I said, so many golfers are afraid of that. But as you said, if you can channel it, but maybe the similar thing in terms of a small club versus a, a big tournament, a lot of golfers say in their club C, they play in a couple of member events, they get in their club C, and it's their big event. So as Howard's joke made, it's the first time you ever see him on the practice range is the night before. Yeah, you can always but, tell the club championships the next day, you see some guy chipping who's never chipped in his life. You're like, what are you, it's, it's too late now. Here. It's too <laughs> late. <laughs> But they go into the round thinking that if I do this thing with my weight transfer and if I hinge my wrist and I make sure I do this thing with my head, I'll be great. And it never is great Mm -hmm. because they're not able to get into a flow state. Is it similar for you in terms of you you work on your your material, you don't set it up the way you want, and then you just go on stage and then just kind of whatever happens, happens? Yeah, to some degree, yes. Golf and comedy, for me, uh, um, getting that first laugh is like getting that first birdie or making that first putt. It's just that that's the reassure. Okay, I know what I'm doing here. Uh, I can handle this moment. Uh, you know, if you go, the further you go into the round without making a putt, the more it starts to weigh on you. Mm-hmm. Well, same, same with the comedy show. The further you go without getting a laugh, the more that starts to weigh on you. So it's key to, you know, you always want to just hit the fairway, hit the green on the first hole, two putt, get out of there. Same with comedy. You want to have a nice short length joke with a, with a laugh pretty early on Mm -hmm. just to get comfortable. Let's just, let's not try to rewrite the history books on this first joke. Let's not write the epic saga. That's going to change comedy. Let's just get a nice clean, quick joke in here, get a laugh so we can settle in. You know, before I let you go, I just remember, and excuse me if I'm getting this wrong, because it could be completely stupid, but didn't you and I do a show at a ski lodge sometime in the last 10 years? I had this memory, and I and I'm it was you and me at that, at that private ski event. I think it was about 14 years ago. Was it that long ago? Yeah. Because all I remember is this. Here's the thing. It's a lodge full of mostly guys. I think it was a men's night ski event and I was brought into MC and you were the headliner and I did like 15 and was just kind of giving away prizes and it was an unruly room of sort of semi-drunk dudes and I got to tell you now that I remembered it I bring you up and I'd never seen anybody in that environment turn a room around like you did and it wasn't that you were such the, the material wasn't the point it was how you played the game that night because in a room like that you can't do the subtle you know cool quirky little plays on words and you just had to own the room and i remember it now i remember you came off i was so impressed by that and that probably more than anything else is why you've done so well is that you're able to adapt your background as a golfer prepared you for situations where hey it's it's a four club wind and you know, it's seven degrees and you still have to, you still have to do your job as a professional. Well, you have to embrace that challenge. Yes. That's the, you have to recognize that. Okay. This isn't a game of, I come up and do my jokes and leave. 
this is a game of I am completely set up to fail here. Yes. There's nothing going my way. But I, I did have you on my side. Like we had a laugh in the exchange. I thought you were hilarious. <laughs> so so I've got I know I've got one guy rooting for me in the oh, room. Yeah. I now mean. I just got to win over these 699 other drunks. <laughs> but it speaks yeah. to it, it speaks to golf. It, 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 is that adapt or die? Yeah. You yeah. have to adapt to what's out there. You can have the I guess the greatest set whatever or you could have make great golf swings, but if you're not adapting to what's out there, you're going to die. Yeah, and you know what? Sometimes 72 is a phenomenal score. You know, a lot of times you think going into it, I have to shoot my best round. No you don't. You have to stay competent, yeah. and you have to not lose your head in this four-club wind, you know, in this, in this muddiness. You have to forget everything that you came with, as you pointed out earlier, Tim. Throw out the game plan and trust your instincts to adapt to the elements and just play this round. Just play this round. It doesn't compare to any other round. Uh, you know, just survive this round. No, that's a great point. And and I think even in everyday golf, for some reason, golfers, is somehow they think they're supposed to shoot. They're supposed to play great every day. And that's not how the game, that's not how stand-up is. That's not how your life is. Uh, Dave <laughs> Nothing Hem- bad's going to happen yeah. today. <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's my theory is that people approach golf like they approach life, which is today's the day nothing bad will happen to me. And as soon as you get in traffic and you get cut off, it's like, what the hell? As soon as, you know, every golfer on the first tee is in a great mood because they're not under par or over par. They're just golf hasn't, you know, you know, eaten their lunch. Dave, we're going to let you go. I want to mention that uh, Dave recently has been hosting a show uh, with our uh, guy, Mark Zacchino. Uh, you see him on TV. Uh, Dave is called Off the Hosel. I'm sure it's still available. I know you guys aren't producing it, but it's still available for people to watch. And as far as your golf goes, I uh, I think you've won like 10 club championships in a row. Or what is it? Where are you at now? Uh, 14. Is it really 14? 14 uh, uh, Summit Club Championships. Yeah, I won't be able to play this year. Uh, I may play in the uh, Ontario Mid-Am. So I might see you there. I don't know if you're still playing. I am. Uh, you know, it's Before. funny. I, I've played in a bunch of mid-ams. I'm not playing this year. I played in the se- I'm in the senior Ontario senior am now. And uh, but do the guys at Summit? They just do they? Well, great, great Hempstead. Thanks for winning every club championship. Well, no, I'm beating the the children of the fathers I used to beat. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's generations of disdain for That's me. That's so I'm good. Now. Uh, generations Dave, of disdain. Hey, um, Tim's... Tim's one, one, go ahead. One thought, Howard, for, for your listeners, and one tip if I could offer one. Sure. As far as relaxing the emotional control goes going into the rounds you talked about, my number one tip for everybody, stop swinging the driver like it's unlimited. Swing yeah. the driver like a wedge. Yeah. You don't try to hit your seven iron 240 yards. Why are you trying to hit your driver 300 yards? It doesn't go that far. Yeah. Your driver has a carry distance, same as every other club in the bag. If yours is 220, that's what it is. Just swing it like a wedge all day. Your shoulders are relaxed. The tension will come right out of you. You won't get nervous on the tee because you're trying to unlock this one phenomenal <laughs> drive right. you never hit. So my tip, swing the driver like a wedge. I love that. And uh, I was just mentioning, Tim's on his way to see uh, the debaters live. Where are you going to see it tonight? Uh, At the River Run in uh, Guelph. Are you there? Awesome. I am not, but uh, our good friend Steve Patterson will be hosting. I believe Derek Sagan and Erica Sigurdsson. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be it's going to be fun. I love that show. Awesome people. And and here's the cool thing is that Dave's golf career – 
and his debater's career is similar. The, 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 our differences are the same. I've done four or five debaters and played a few rounds of ter- tournament golf, but you've done how many episodes of the debaters, Dave? I've lost count, Howard, and I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. No, no, I know. It's, it's, I was telling, it's either in the, it's probably in the 40s. Yeah, I was going to say, I was telling Tim before the show, I said, yeah, I did about four or five episodes and, you know, the late uh, 2000s and eights or whatever. And then I did the last one in 2012. And I said, I think Dave's done like, he's done like 40 or 50 of them for sure. If you get a chance to see Dave uh, Hempstead play golf, it's something. But if you watch him on stage, you're going to enjoy it. Hey, Dave, I really appreciate this, man. Yeah, thank you, sir. I appreciate you. And, Howard, you may not have done a lot of debaters, but you have a show with your name in the title, and that's more impressive. So well, well done, you. Part of my name, but thanks very much. Dave Hempstead, everybody, look at that sweet man. Dave, Take just let yourself out of the room, and I uh, hope to catch up to you again sometime. Thanks for having me, guys. See you All again. Right. There you thank go. you, Dave. See, Bye. I'm, that was, you know... I knew he'd be great because he's got an insight. He understands the psychology of it. You know, that thing that Dave was saying about, you know, we've said it in different ways, too, about how far you hit your driver. Another way to express that is if somebody asks you uh, how far you hit your 7-iron, you would tell them, I don't know, 150 yards. And then when you had 150 yards, you take out your 7-iron. But for some reason, no one, it's what he said, everyone thinks they have some weird secret unlimited yardages with their driver. If you hit it 220, that's how far you should try and hit it. I know. It's like everyone becomes Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> it's so weird. And beyond. I know. And, and it's, it's just the strangest thing. You don't try, no one tries to hit their 7-iron 190 if you normally hit it 150. Yeah, but he's a beauty, man. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. It was really great to have him. Uh, as you say, a, a great get. Um, I actually had not heard of this gentleman until I heard him on the CBC program, LOL, about six weeks ago. And he just did this bit that I thought was amazing. He said, well, my car was stolen. He goes, well, actually, it was towed. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "What I he said it was a no parking zone, but I needed to go in that store." <laughs> and he said he put on his flashers, which basically say, "I know, I know, I know." <laughs> yeah, he's very good. Oh, um, that was so good. It's interesting. There's very I can't even imagine somebody else in stand up that has gotten his successful he's very successful in canada i mean we i didn't read his resume but go check it out folks it's really something else he's i know a lot of people listening oh, i've never heard of him but that's you know like that's a lot canada. of that, that's canada but it's also like a lot of stand-ups you know yeah. i i have four or five favorites i could name now that most people have never heard of but it's the same with professional golfers you know scotty scheffler 60 days ago most casual not you know golf fans probably weren't that familiar with the guy and there's lots of guys that's the problem with that's why they're so similar in that there's hundreds of great professional golfers that that could easily be up in that echelon if they had a a better you know maybe they had a chance or whatever but same with stand-up like i go i was at yuck yucks a couple weeks ago i saw a couple kids that i've watched over the last three or four years that are really really good chances are you may never hear about them right Mm -hmm. it's uh that's part of popular culture. Yeah. You know, people that, you know, it, it sounds, I don't mean to say it in a derisive way, but, you know, the masses, if you will, they, unless you're really into something, yeah. you just, 
you just know kind of top level. Mm-hmm. The top two or three people are who the hippity hop stars are, or, <laughs> the, or, or the country people, or or whatever. Um, I love that you call them the hippity hop people. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I probably I just obviously stole no, I that from it. someone else. But it was like, um, you know, people would say, "Oh, you've written a book. Who'd you write the book about?" Uh, this guy Mo Norman. Oh. It's quite obvious they've never heard of them, mm-hmm. and 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 that's okay. It's, it's just, but unfortunately, there's a tendency in our society, unless someone has achieved some degree of notoriety, um, then it's like eh, I guess they're not very good. Uh, well, or it, and and it also speaks to what you said about you know popular culture in general, which is if you're not into uh, whatever thing you're into, they, you know, you could say like the day we're recording this is the day after it was announced that Gilbert Gottfried died. And a stand-up right. comedian I've loved since I lived in Los Angeles. I went and saw him at the Improv. But if you don't know who he is as a comedian and what he meant to comedy, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I heard. Isn't he the guy who was the voice of a cartoon character or something? But in the world of stand-up comedy, he's a legend, this guy. But, you know, same thing with you know golf. If you don't know who... Uh, Maverick McNeely is one of the best players on planet Earth. But if you're like, you know, Fred, who I work with, he doesn't know who he is. He would never because he's too far down. Right. Like, I don't know the Leafs, but I know who Austin Matthews is. But other than that, like a few others, you could name a few players on that team. I wouldn't know who they are. Yeah, but I think what's interesting, though, is that if we can give each other a bit of time, it's almost like it's like listening to somebody who you meet. If you really listen and have some curiosity, then you can learn some pretty cool stuff. I, you know, I kind of feel like I'm giving people shit for not, for, for not um, caring about uh, Canadian stand-up comics or, or the, uh, the, the fellows who toil in the uh, underworld of the PGA Tour. But maybe that's just something that we can connect to something else in terms of the, that ability to, to listen and not make it and just kind of like, oh, and just to delve a little bit deeper, that's, I don't know, maybe that's part of the art of, of comedy is, is, is people look deeper at things than most people. Like, I remember George Carlin doing a bit on um, wire coat hangers. Mm-hmm. Like, who would think to do something on wire coat hangers? Um, or you got a bunch... It's, it's that willingness to look a little bit deeper at things. I guess that's what I'm getting at. I don't think anyone thinks you're giving anyone shit because you are, of course, an angel here on Earth. Um, <laughs> I wanted to just segue. You could hear the music, the masters. Uh, we already alluded to the fact that Scotty Scheffler got to four putt to win. Um, Want to get some of your thoughts. Uh, Tiger was great. I'm, I'll give you quickly for me, my top line. I watched a lot of it. I watched a lot of coverage each day. It was uh, it was great. I always get to Sunday afternoon. I'm a bit sad, like, aw. No, I exactly. don't get to. Yep. No, I don't. You and I were texting back and forth like children. Um, I think Tiger. You know what can you say about it? It was amazing. The fact he shot seventy one after not playing for seventeen months. Listen, if he had been healthy uh, and just hadn't played for seventeen months because of another injury, what he did would have been remarkable. But you know, it just goes to show you. And I have a couple little, uh, I know, decade things, but like. You know him, his his round in uh, the third and fourth round, three putting and four putting. I actually thought he swung the club really, really well. 
especially in the third and fourth. He hit his driver great. Mm-hmm. But it just goes to show you that that's not where golf scores come from. Uh, your thoughts? Well, I mean, Tiger, every time, it's so interesting. Is every time people write off Tiger, he goes, no, not done. Mm. And I think that so much of it, he just doesn't identify. So I'm effing Tiger Woods. I just think there's just this homing beacon within that fellow that is just, we're going forward, whatever it takes. I mean, he said that I don't think he took a day off yeah. from rehab since he was able to you know, start rehab. Right. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, there's days, you know, I do, you know, I, I work out, and but there's days when it's like, really? <laughs> no, I know. I just don't want to. But that's you want to persevere in this world you do the work and i mean he just does the work and and i just find that uh, that i find like so inspiring and can you imagine the kind of pain that that fellow was in for for all that i mean as it went on the limp became more pronounced uh, his gait changed he had to be in a ton mm-hmm. of pain and to be able to i don't know compartmentalize or whatever but just to be able to stay the the focus that he was able to maintain despite everything going on I, just incredible no I, and so we uh, we we could if we should, we don't need to spend a lot of time on tiger because i think most people by now have had a a real sense of the fact he's probably going to continue to play he said he was going to play st andrews mm-hmm. uh, i just think it's remarkable that you know there's a list of guys he beat they were all playing golf the last 17 months when he was taking ice baths or whatever he was doing uh, so we're texting back and forth, Tim and I. Scheffler's having a you know decent final round. You know, a couple things that happened, I would tell you, that for me were huge mistakes. Obviously, Cam Smith hitting it in the water on 12. I'll get to it in a second. Where it changed for me is, you know, Scheffler was a bit nervous, had kind of pull-hooked his drive on 18 Saturday. Sun- Sunday starts with a couple of lefts, and lefts come from being nervous. And uh, on three, when he glooped, as my buddy Paul says, he glooped his second shot short of the green. Once you've once he's glooped, Cam Smith, all he has to do is get the ball on the green. Okay, decade fans, you don't have to get it close at that point. You just need to not gloop it as well. Now I don't know what was going on in the, in the mullet head, but. What, what, I, what I think he might have been thinking is, oh, I have an opportunity now. If I get it close, then I can pick up a shot or maybe two. The problem with it is, and this is, you've heard me say this a million times now, by trying to get it close sometimes, you bring gloop into play. And so that was a huge mistake. Now, the fact that Scheffler knocks it in is a double momentum killer because a second ago you were thinking I could pick up a shot. Now you've got to also get your shot on the green. And of course, Cam Smith hits his third shot where his second shot should have been two putts. And for me, that was part of it. And again, if you want to pop in and your thoughts on that. Well, in that instance, it becomes match play. Yes. And gloop. So before we go further in this, uh, please elucidate uh, elaborate on this marvelous new word that I've just picked up. <laughs> well, you and know, want it's to when, put in my lexicon. Well, gloop. it's another word for glooping it is another word for like two chipping it. Like you just glooped uh, it. You just kind of like 
you know, you're you're supposed to get a shot from 50 yards onto the green if you're the sixth-ranked player on planet Earth. Right. But that shot wasn't neither of their... I mean, Scotty Scheffler's was out of nerves. I mean, I know they're in the prime straw, whatever. But I yeah. guarantee you, if it's not the final round on Sunday, both of them hit their second shots onto the green. Anyways, back to... So, back to the match play thing that I was talking about. I thought that I was somewhat shocked that... Smith didn't actually just kind of go long yeah. or just get that thing on the green somewhere. That was like, what? And I, I just couldn't understand what happened there. And again, to continue that, the, uh, the analogy to match play, that's what can happen. Someone, someone chips in. And it's, like, it's almost like you have to expect that to happen. And I think it, it was kind of a poof to, to Smith again um, that – this unexpected thing happened. And I think that's maybe, you know, this guy's, yeah, six-ranked player in the world, just one of the players, won the, the Sony or whatever it's called these days. Um, you know, I'm an, obviously amateur prognosticator here, but he, uh, I still think there's a part of his game that in, in terms of the decision-making process that, that needs to come up. A, a level. So, uh, you know, back to the match play. So they they go through the front nine. They settle down. Both played pretty nicely. And then Cam Smith sinks the putt on 11, makes a birdie, and now he's within two with six holes to go. I said, some, I said this to somebody yesterday. Has he never seen the Masters? Is this his first time having a – is he not aware of the tournament? Has he not seen – What can happen? Yeah. Has he, did he not watch Tiger in 2019 like – You've just birdied 11. And then he gets up, and I can tell you, again, I don't want to decade you kids, but where he was aimed, his body lines, and I've been going back and forth with, with Fawcett a little bit on this. Oh, interesting. And um, and seeing what Scott has written online. And, you know, he Smith later said, well, no, I wasn't aiming to over yeah. there. But he's a guy that draws the ball. But in that circumstance, when you've just picked up some momentum and you're on, you get the, plus you got the tee, you get to hit it first, match play. You get to put it on the green, put some pressure on the kid and hit it somewhere where you can make nothing worse than four, back bunker, front bunker, left, something. But to hit the ball on the water, it did two things. It gave Scotty Scheffler a free swing and he took it. And it also, you know, Kind of, you and I were like, oh well, there goes the back of You know, it went, the next there goes six, the drum of the, the drama is gone. Oh, I mean, and, and say what you want about Rory, who backed into a top two. Yeah, that was exciting and it was fun, but it it wasn't going. To, it was never going to be no a, a, a factor in the outcome of the tournament. That to me was I I read what Smith said. No, I wasn't aiming at that pin, but then you really did. Not, <laughs> you didn't do enough to not aim at it. Yeah, you know, I, I just thought there's just no way in hell that ball, just as you mentioned, you pick up a birdie, you're right there. It's a, it, it's a, it could be a momentum changer. You have to get that ball on terra firma. Even if you go long, most of the times it's going to trickle off that hill into the bunker. Yeah, and you can get up and down. Yeah. I mean, you watched it happen. Um, yeah, a bunch of guys hit it back there into the bush, and then whoop, it comes down. So I don't know. Uh, I'll come back to this point that I made a couple podcasts ago that I think that Smith 
someone like a Mickelson is an instinctual player and is naturally kind of aggressive. But I think that there's a, a point of diminishing returns on that. It, mm-hmm. it he got he got through that somehow at the players. You know, he hit that wedge shot. You know, despite the the data not being there that he could hit it that freaking close and one putt it, he got away with it to some degree. So I don't know. I just think there's a there's some kind of balance that he's going to strike in his game, uh, where he can just maybe make some better decisions in crunch moments. Well, isn't it interesting that you know a lot of our listeners and you and I are among the people that used to think I think used to think this way that you know you can. As I say, you can't golf swing your way to a lower score, but it turns out you also can't make poor decisions because he can say that. I know I read that. He said I wasn't aiming at it, but where you should have been aiming is that if you are, if, because, you know, everyone has a shot pattern, and what showed up for Cam Smith on that particular shot was the short, blocky right for a right handed golfer. Your shot pattern is, is simple. There's only three places it goes. Long left, where you're, you know, straight or short right. Generally, right. those are the three. So if you, if, I don't want to get too geeky on you, you know, but that's what it looks like. So what happened to him was the, 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 the short right part of his shot pattern. He should have been aiming so far to the left that if the short right showed up, it had been in the front bunker. Mm-hmm. And it's so the point I guess I'm making is it wasn't his golf swing. It was his golf game that broke down. Yeah, I agreed. Yeah, because the the interesting thing that Fawcett has helped us understand through strokes gained and everything is that even the best players in the world have a very wide shot pattern and that un, and, and particularly under the gun, they're not always going to hit it right at the pin. You know, they're not hit it in the right location on the green at Augusta. They're just going to be up there somewhere. So you have to – there has to be an, an adjustment for that. And and so it, it was just really interesting. I'm, I'm inter- I didn't look through Twitter on what Scott Fawcett had to say. What did, what did Fawcett say about Smith and all, that shot? Yeah, all the things you can imagine. Just like – and then the, there was a bunch of people going back and forth. And, I, I you know, you, you said that Smith said it was just a bad swing. But – this is a good point for the average player. Bad swings are the result of a lot of things that are less about the technical part of what went wrong. In that particular case, what went wrong was he he was just it was a bad decision. And you know when you're standing over the ball, it didn't I'm sure it didn't feel right to him. Something felt off to him. I was talking about this with some good players yesterday. I got a chance to play with some very good golfers. And uh, we were talking about that. And, you know, the point that the debate was, you know, when it doesn't feel right, like maybe what he should have done is backed away, taken more time. You know, I think what happened was he got excited. I made a birdie on 11, rare birdie, and now I'm in the game. And, and maybe he could have just taken a little, maybe his caddy could have said, hey, let's just settle down here for an extra minute. Let's just simmer down and let's really get focused on what we're going to do. And I don't think they did. Yeah. Well, I, you know, in many ways, I hate playing Monday morning quarterback, but I think it's through trying to understand, to to kind of parse what happened, we get a greater understanding. But again, I come back to this thing. I, again, I don't know Cam Smith quite obviously, um, but I just have a sense there is a, 
there's a go for it mentality. Mm-hmm. And I set up and I go. I've never seen him back off a shot. He's got a very brisk pre-shot routine. Takes care of business like that. So my sense is he got over it and what was ever going on, he goes, we're doing this. But I think ultimately it comes back to just a, a not good decision about where he was going to start that ball. Uh, all right. Um, I want everyone to know you can still get uh, – we're not wrapping the whole thing up, but I want to pause here and say uh, Tim and Nate have uh, begun their series, Quiet Mind Golf. First one was last week. You can still get in, get in on the summer series. It's a six-month commitment, and it really is worth it. Uh, just give us a sense. You had your first – I think last week you guys had your first session, plus there's follow-up calls, and it's – it's quite extensive, but I think for the uh, avid player, someone that wants to really get a, a sense on what it takes to get better, uh, Tim and Nate are your guys. And how do people uh, sign up if they can? Uh, the easiest place to go is to my website, O'ConnorGolf.ca, and you can see, uh, see all the details there. And just email me or, um, or give me a call. My phone number's in there too. Yeah, we started on Friday. It was awesome. We had it at um, our, our favorite place, Sean Casey's uh, Burl Oak Indoor Golf. B-I-T. They have that, they have that exactly. <laughs> B-I-T. Big. And so we were on the big short game area. I mean, it's lovely practice area. And so mm-hmm. we did a bunch of experiences. So um, <laughs> speaking of uh, drinking games, Fred Shoemaker, I've learned so much from Fred from his workshops around giving people experiences in putting. And we put people through these really interesting exercises. And it was phenomenal what these guys were getting from it in terms of just like learning like that they don't have to be thinking about keeping their head still and mm-hmm. hinge this and accelerate the putter and all that kind of good stuff. They really got a sense of, of A, how competent they really are when they let their natural ability go and when they let let control – let let that control go and they really just have this way of allowing themselves to play um, that their bodies can really putt really well and they're far more competent than they ever have imagined so some of them it was really interesting and that's kind of the gateway for the rest of the program is for people to understand that they don't have to be thinking all this stuff and they don't have to match some kind of model or or do it right they all have their own way of of doing it and they'll learn from their own experience so yeah it was a great start and we had our um we had our discussion call last night in in which guys could basically reflect on that experience and ask some questions of each other it was really fun Mm -hmm. yeah so a great start to our program well connor golf's uh connor golf.ca is is Tim's website? I, I saw a friend of ours yesterday, Dave Newsom. Yeah, and uh, he said something to me. I don't know what I said to him. I said, "Oh, because uh, I'd gotten the tea time wrong." I said, oh, "I screwed up the tea time." He said, "Yeah, you still haven't got O'Connor's website right." <laughs> <laughs> I thought, "There's a listener." It's not that I don't so get. I need to, so thank you for inquiring. How's it going? Being the decade Sherpa, that's uh, good. I'm. Uh, I've got. Uh, I, you know, of course, client confidentiality, but I've got. I think I'm up to six Fantastic. clients. Are they clients? Are these clients? I don't know what they are. Um, friends uh, now. So uh, I've got six clients. people I'm working clients. with. Yeah, that's the business word. You could call yeah. them grasshoppers or something. Um, and it's good. I'm learning. Uh, you know, I've learned. To, it's, it's like relearning some of the decade yes. stuff. But, but I want to say to what you just said about 
you know, a lot of times people don't realize their natural abilities, and that's one of the great things about Quiet Mind. But I, I would tell you, you know, I played yesterday with, well, I'll tell you, one of them was Lars Melander, who used to oh, play. Wow. Lars, you know, Lars is a buddy of mine. He's played in the Canadian Open. Oh, you know, great player. Great golfer. Another guy is my better ball partner, Jamie Cavanaugh, plus two. Yep. And another guy that was like a two. So the whole group handicap is like nothing. And these three guys are big, big uh, fans of Casey's. They spend all winter at BIT there, Burlington Indoor uh, Golf. Is it BIT? BIG. BIG, sorry. Where was I getting tea from? I'm an idiot. Anyway, BIG. I'm I'm literally yelling BIT like a moron. Anyway. um, Thanks for confirming your... No, but it's true. Like a minute ago, I'm going, BIT, like what I don't know, Burlington Indoor Golf has a T in it. God damn it. You did a show today. You get, maybe you're just reaching your limit. Yeah, I have been sitting in this chair for five hours. Anyway. Exactly. But these three guys are guys I really respect. Uh, Lars was my partner in the Club Link shootout last year. I played, he was in my group at a invitational or two, and I just I really look up to him. And uh, he's been good for a long time. Mm-hmm. I say this because... I, I liked, I'm, inter- I'm always interested in what guys like that, well, how do they talk about golf? And I'm just going to say, they don't talk about it the way we do. And, and I'm going to say this with respect, that even those guys still think that you need to have, that the golf swing is the pathway to betterment in the game. And I'm, I, I said to my buddy Henrik on the way home, I'm like, I find it weird listening to really good players, guys that can shoot low scores. Like, how do they not, how do they miss, how do they miss it? Because they were literally, you know, and Lars loves to tinker with his swing. And he hit, he hit it great yesterday. I sent him a note today saying, man, it was great to watch you play yesterday. And, and he was very complimentary of me. But I, I still think it's interesting, Tim, that even veteran players like that, that are all excellent, still don't. I don't think they really get where scores come from because they're still thinking that, man, if I could just get this club in the slot somewhere or, you know, I'm working on this. And one of the guys uh, in the other, one of the third guy in the group is a very fine player. said, yeah, Lars has been working with me and he's really got me tuned up. And I'm like, your swing looks, I said to myself, swing looks exactly the same to me. <laughs> like, no, like no difference. And he was hitting it great. And I'm like, just whatever Lars is, I, this is what I said to him. Whatever Lars is telling you, keep doing it. It looks great. Exactly. <laughs> but I just find that part fascinating because I think about it in such different terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I understand exactly where you're coming from on that. And it is, it, it is interesting. But you think about a guy like, um, think of uh, like Scotty Scheffler or even Dave Hempstead. What I mean by, like Scheffler's footwork it's kind of a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing with those feet? Don't know, but apparently it works for him. Um, doesn't match any kind of model I've ever seen. Um, but Dave Hempstead, never once did he talk about, you know, he said he, you've got your, you know, your preferred shot. But performance is not about grinding on these little details. And I think that a lot of good players play at a high level because they play a lot you know you play a lot but what i mean is is that if you can keep kind of grinding on some of these details i think that you can play you can play pretty well but i don't think they reach their potential 
and, and I think there's a lot of emotional upset uh, sometimes when we don't when players like that they for the average golfer it's kind of like they've attained enlightenment but they really haven't They're, they 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 could be far better than they really were if they were able to find this balance of being able to find what works for them in hitting shots seeing what happened yeah taking you know there has to be an awareness of your fundamentals and, and what's going on but if that becomes your focus then I just think golf doesn't become as much fun and and you and you rarely get to those places where you go super low or just have these amazing experiences where you just hit shots and go like what just happened no, there? obviously I, I agree with you I think what it is it's not that they, it's not that those guys couldn't shoot lower it's what happens to it, it, let's just take those people out of the equation because I, I, I respect all three of them they're so good what what it is though is on the days when it's not going well, if, you're st- if you still think that your golf swing is making a difference, you're missing what is actually making a difference. And Hempstead touched on it a little bit in terms of, you know, being present. And, 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 I, and I said that to you recently. Like, I've learned more about doing stand-up because of the work I, I've done in my golf game than I ever did when I was just doing stand-up. Like, you know, the, the analogy of your material is like your golf swing. Yeah, once you've tuned it up, if you go out on stage and you're still thinking about, what am I going to say? How do I say it perfectly? You're missing the point of, you know, I'm, I know I'm like, I know I was going to say this to Hempstead. I know we're pretty funny. And chances are these jokes that I've done before that have worked a hundred times, if they don't work tonight, well... You know, as he said, sometimes you turn on, not turn on the audience, but really you kind of have to recognize that I played this course before, you know, maybe today isn't my day or it's not my fault or the wind is high or, but you sort of forgive yourself, which I don't think a lot of golfers, myself included, I don't think we're used to doing that, forgiving ourselves for having not a perfect, not being perfect. But if I'll finish by saying, I think it's the expectation of perfection that gets in our way. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah, completely. The game is just, the game is so much more than just the score, but you know, um, if it's all about just the, the, the scorecard, I think we're missing so much of what golf has to offer and it's the fun. It's, it's the camaraderie. It's just, but it's also uh, discovery and learning. And, and I think that what players who just come to other levels, they go to it. They have a deeper experience of what's actually going on with them. They start to understand their habitual patterns, their thinking. Um, you know why perhaps they call the, the names they call themselves that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. And it to me, it's kind of like look. It's like uh, what um, Judson Brewer, uh, the psychologist, said on our show. He says looking for love in all the wrong places. If if we're looking for perfection in terms of what we're going to do with our our left knee or our right eyebrow um and and we do happen to shoot a low score that day i'm not sure that golf does golf really deliver the happiness that everyone in golf culture says it's going to let me just jump in there about what judson said like i've been using that not that quote but uh it's talking about not knowing where to look to where scores are and that is the a big adjustment since 2017, since we took the seminar together. And, then, and I don't think I understood it as well then, obviously, as I've done the, the last... Yeah, the last couple of years. 
But knowing where scores live, knowing the things that affect scores has led me at least, and I think other people that have sort of started to follow along with this. And by the way, I'd heard a rumor, and Fawcett will never confirm it because of client confidentiality, but there's a rumor that Rory has started to yes. work with the decade system. Which I will thought be Rory in, was giving that away a little bit. A little bit. In, his, in the pre-master's conference, he talked about discipline and patience. Right. I never heard Rory ever talk about that. And, and the thing is... And I, want to, I won't get into the debate now about is this ruining the game? Because you can still be, the, the idea is you can still be creative, but what, what f- knowing a system like this, it takes some of the guesswork out of what you're going to do. And the second part of it is, and I was the worst, you know, I, I, I couldn't imagine ever golfing without spending an hour and a half on the range before the round and I've got to do all these things. And, and, and as I say to my older brother, David, I'm not going to the golf course looking for my swing every day. And that is more than anything else has made me a little happier <laughs> to play, happier playing, knowing that there's a variance of score. It can't be perfect every day. I'm not as frustrated because, yeah, my golf swing has been pretty decent. You know, it's okay, but I don't hit every shot perfectly. And in the end, I, I don't, what I don't do in the last, I played Monday and Tuesday. I hadn't played golf in six, seven weeks. And I had a couple of good rounds, not because of how well I hit it. I hit it well enough. But back to what Hempstead was referring to, sometimes you have to go on stage and just trust that you know what you're doing. And I don't think enough of us golfers trust that our ability is in there. If you just let it be in there and not, again, you know, like the idea of the driver. I, I, I have an, uh, an amount of golf energy I can put on a golf ball. I'm not trying to do more than that. And there's, and there's that throughout your entire game. So, yeah, I think sometimes us golfers don't really know. And you made a really nice point there a second ago. But if you think you had a good score that day and you thought it was because of your golf swing, then you're always going to be at the mercy of hoping your good golf swing shows up or you can't score. Yeah, well, I, I, what I find, what, to me, golf, like, like stand-up or other things, it's, the joy, I think, is in the, is in the creativity, creativity of it within parameters. Yeah. If you want to kill it in stand up, well, you can, but you're you you've got eight minutes you're allotted. You gotta work within that. And so there's a lot there's so we talked about adapting to your audience to what's going on. You had something interesting happen that day. You noticed something, you know, you mentioned I, I remember before about seeing a daughter and a father in the audience mm-hmm. and, and, and reacting to that. That's that's creativity within the parameters of Being what in the you moment. were given there. And the same within golf is that we're going to be creative within the parameters that this hole has perhaps out of bounds on the right and some water on the left, and it's 410 par 4. But if, if for me, performance is about me trying to go to the first tee and remember something that I need to do in my swing, I just don't see how I could ever get freed up there's going to be days in which the club does find the slot sure and i'm able to let it go but if it's about trying to remember to do the right things um i just don't see that as a 
a zone where I'm going to be able to achieve a degree of flow and performance, which comes, I'll come back to that word, which is, which is creating things. And that to me, what golf is, it's not about doing this thing with my, my hips and my feet. It's about, okay, I got this shot here that I'm going to try and hit. I'm going to start it here and flight it there. That, now that's golf to me. And that's, well, that's it's all, yeah, you know, I'm laughing too, because I, I, I think all of us have had this experience. I've had it less over the last few years, which is standing over the ball. And, and maybe it's because we're getting older, forgetting what, like, I'm like standing there for a second going like, what was it? I was, what exactly. was it? What what's, am I supposed to be working on? What's <laughs> like, my mantra? I forgot my swing thought. Um, and I, I will, I can tell you right now, like I, I did stand oh, up, I, I did stand up about two weeks ago and I had a great set. I, I, I blew through the time, but other than that, I had a great set. I did 16 minutes and by, I, I, in a golf analogy, it was, it was even par or maybe a little bit better. Like it was a great round for me, but in that set, and I just remember I had a couple in the middle, you know, in the middle of the round, I had a couple shots that didn't come off. But it's being able to recover. It's like, okay, so that didn't work, but I, I still have the momentum of the round. It didn't wreck the round. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you react poorly to a bad shot on stage, like, you know, if the audience senses, and I've said this for my entire stand-up life, they know, all, I'm sure, let me put it this way, all they want to know is that they're going to be okay and that you're going to be okay. And what I mean by that is they can sense that, hey, you know, it didn't work. You're still smiling. You're okay. They're okay. They don't have to be embarrassed for you. What, what makes an audience uncomfortable and drunken audiences angry mm. is when a comic is flailing and they can see it's affecting them. You start to shrink. You don't expand. But as, as Hempstead said, like, the best way to do it is to, act, to call it out and go, excuse me, that's a good joke. You're stupid. Everyone else is, you know, but that attitude of like, everything's fine. And in that, in that set I did at Yuck Yucks a couple of Friday nights ago, yeah, I had a couple of things that didn't land, but I was in such a good mood and the, and the mood in the room was good that it didn't matter to us. Uh, and I mean, I might've even said, okay, you didn't like that. Let's go on to the next thing on our agenda. But whatever it is, they just want to know that you're going to caretake them. Um, and in a round of golf, you know, we can all have, we all have, you know, I sh- even in my best rounds and your best rounds, there's, there's bad shots. Yeah, yeah. Scotty Scheffler, you know, he gloops that second shot in the masters. That shot was horrible by a professional standpoint, but he went on and shot, you know, he would have shot, if he hadn't four putted, I think he would have shot 69 in his last round, shot 71 with a four putt. How good is that? Yeah, Exactly. You know, this might be a tenuous connection, but I'll go for it anyways. Um, I gave a workshop in the fall. It was my first one live in many, many months. And so because it was live, I created a PowerPoint. And I'd been giving this particular workshop as a webinar. So I hadn't been used. I don't like PowerPoints anyways. And I just thought, yeah. So, but I used this PowerPoint and I felt chained to it. And I felt like this is where, oh, I need to get to this now. I got to get to this now. Here's what it says on the clock. And it was just like, it was, I felt like, you know, in, in sort of speaker workshop terms, I bombed that night. Yeah, yeah. And then I did a webinar. It was about a couple of weeks later. And I had some notes, some bullet points, but I had, I did not have a PowerPoint. Howard, I never looked at my notes once. Beautiful. I just started talking and 
it just flowed and it was fun. And, you know, I, I, there's one part I went, oh, I forgot to tell you an important part. Yeah. We'll have to go back and tell that. And they laughed and they went on with it. You know, it was it, so again, it made it come back to, to being be creative and, and having some flow. And I, again, I think when we come back, when we're trying to do things the right way and remember this idea or concept, I think that's just kind of it puts kind of a shackle on things. No, I, and I'm getting, I'm get, I couldn't agree with you more. Getting back quickly, and we're going to wrap up, everyone, so don't, don't panic. Um, but getting back to these three very good players I played with yesterday. and Yeah, it's funny how, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of the, the old school golf culture in that group yesterday, and they're really good golfers. But it's that golf culture of I need to work on my swing, and if my swing is working, then I will have a good score. And and I'm not saying they're always like this because they're especially Lars, who's a fine tournament player, so he knows how to get, he knows how to grind it out. But I think a lot of amateur golfers, and I'm just tying it back to the psychology of expectation management. And in my little, you know, six client world, one of the things I tell all these guys is this. You, if you don't know what a good shot is, how will you know if you ever make a good shot? Like from the statistical 150 yards from the green, if you don't know that hitting the green with a, an eight handicap from 150 yards is a good shot, you're going to be pissed thinking you, you were supposed to get that closer. And I think of all the things I've learned from Fawcett, that one idea of knowing what what managing your expectations one of the acronyms in decade is expectations discipline and expectations are to me the secret sauce out there you know i i had a really fine round yesterday i don't i'll I'll bore you with the details after we stop recording but on the 17th hole i misjudged the wind and the pull hook showed up so i'm long left over the green and it's i've I've sort of short-sighted myself long Meaning it was a back pin, and I, I, you know, and I'm, we're playing a fun game of team games or whatever, and, and I, my partner was in there good, but I also was like, I'm not trying to get this close. I was in a bad position, and I pitched onto the green and, and 35 feet past the flag and went down and, and whatever. But I, I understood that that was an okay shot in that moment. It gave me a two-putt for bogey, and I got to move on. If I had tried to get it close from there, you know, maybe... Some slow, uh, low percentage times out of 20, but I just took, you know, like, I know these are all cliches, but I just sort of went, okay, I'm going to make good contact. And if it, if it lands within, you know, 20 feet, I'm, 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 I'm fine with it. Whereas an earlier version of myself would have been, you know, feeling weird or I didn't, those guys are on the green and I've got to get it up and down for par. I'm having a great day. But I didn't think any of that. I didn't. The discipline of of decade just made me. My decision was simple: get good contact, land it on the green, take your medicine. That that more than anything else, basically, I saved a double bogey there. And not making double bogey is the way to make you know lower scores for us amateurs. You know. All right. And that's why and that's why you're the decade Sherpa. I'm the I'm that, golf you, spiritual leader. Oh, there we go. You have that wisdom to share. Uh, Tim O'Connor or ConnorGolf.ca. Sign up for Quiet Mind. There's still time. And, uh, of course, you can always get uh, Timmy to uh, work with you privately. It's a very uh, intimate experience. I mean, very gentle. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, thanks to uh, Jonathan Wong Apparel, JWApparelInc.com. And, of course, thanks to our uh, very, very good friends at TaylorMade. Uh, it's never been a better time to sign up and get fit. The carbon wood era is upon us. TaylorMadeGolf.ca. All right, O'Connor, until next week. Take care. See ya. See you. Oh, and thanks to Dave Hempstead, for sure. Now you step yeah. inside, but you don't see too many.